This is Michael Byrne and you're listening to the Let's Talk podcast where we help people to gain a better understanding of mental illness and hear firsthand from a survivor of multiple traumas so you can be free from the past and get on with your life. Welcome to the podcast. It's a pretty poor system and it's in a system that seems to have been standardised for many, many years now. Uh, it's not evolved uh, in many ways and indeed the statistics show that certainly in Glasgow, um, 7 in 10 employees are fearful of even opening up to their employer about their poor mental health. So that's 70% of the workforce don't even want to tell their employer that they're struggling with their mental health. The structure usually is that if you approach your manager, which again is a barrier um, because you have to approach your manager and say you're struggling with your mental health and that manager and himself or herself can dictate your future career or not. Um, and then you're generally offered six weeks of counselling by an unknown body. It'll be a third party that might well be in your wellness action plan or whatever the organisation has, but you'll have no connection to the, empl- uh, the counselling organisation. It's not like, you know... They come in every couple of weeks and do training sessions and you, it's generally you're sent to an office department uh, organisation somewhere else in the city uh, and you will then go through a six-week process of counselling with that person for whatever it is that may be that brought you to tell your manager um, that you're struggling. Thereafter, um, if you're still unhappy or you have to go off sick or, or one of those things, you are then referred to occupational health, which when you look at both of those, tend to be barriers to anyone wanting to present themselves to their employer and say, I'm kind of struggling because you're going to farm me out to a counsellor and then you're going to make me go to occupational health. My uh, attitude generally or the known attitude towards occupational health is that they tend to be very academic. Uh, You're referred there and they're paid by your employer to assess you and your mental health. Um, now there's two ways of looking at it could that be seen as a potential punitive measure for your illness it's certainly going to be a barrier because you're going to have to go yet again to this academic and say you're struggling or is it going to be uh, in your favour in some way where they'll tell your employer what your reasonable adjustments will need to be and that's the dichotomy of it that you really don't know how it's going to fall in between two stools but either way it's pretty difficult as an employee as I've said if 7 in 10 people don't want to present because they're scared of the process Why are they scared of the process? The negative uh, in the context of what I do is that when you go and see a counsellor, it's an academic. With the greatest of respect to all academics who are in that field, generally what people want in the very first instance, in my experience, is to speak to someone who's been through it. And the first barrier is if you go to an academic, the likelihood that they have not necessarily been through the thing that you're struggling with. So, for instance... You know, if you're struggling with your mental health because of perhaps depression or a family loss or something along those lines, would that counsellor be able to relate to it personally other than perhaps academically? And to say, here's what the textbooks and my academic prowess tell me you should do and what should happen to you. And that's a real barrier. That's what I've found. It's a real barrier. Certainly what I've been doing with Let's uh, is that my understanding and my experience and my knowledge is that when people are struggling with their mental health, 
the first person they want to talk to is someone who's been through something similar. And that's not really just for your mental health, that's generally in any experience, you know, if you're, you know, if you're looking for a job interview, if you're going for a job interview, you generally go and talk to someone who's pretty good at doing job interviews, what do you do, have you got any tips? It's just the same as your mental health. And what we try and do at Let's is to just open that door for people through our own lived experience. I'll give you a metaphor for it. I'll uh, tell you what I use when I'm explaining what it feels like to be struggling with your mental health for people. So we've all, well, the majority of us have always went abroad or went abroad somewhere on holiday at one time or another. And when you go to your local airport, if you're in Scotland or Glasgow, whatever it is, everyone speaks English. So you're comfortable in your surroundings. You then get on the plane, there's less of you, but you're still okay. Everyone's speaking the same language as you. Then you get to your airport and you get on a transfer on the bus. There's less of you and you're a wee bit worried because you're sensing that things are getting a wee bit different. There's a couple of people on the bus that maybe don't speak the same language. But anyway, you're okay because you're looking to get to your hotel in Spain or, or Greece. And then you get to the hotel and you're the only person that gets off the transfer bus. You step into the hotel, you check in, you go up to your room, have a shower, whatever you do, um, unpack and then go downstairs to the hotel bar. And you walk into that hotel bar and everyone's speaking German, French, Spanish, whatever it may be, everything but the language you can speak. That's exactly what it feels like for me and my experience when you're struggling with your mental health. No one can understand you and it's very unlikely that you'll be able to understand everyone else. However, the shining light of all of that is that I ask the question, what do you do when you hear a voice that speaks the same language as you? Everyone everyone says, I'd gravitate towards that person. And the only reason you gravitate towards that person is that you speak the same language. And that's exactly what I do. I speak that language of trauma. And you gravitate towards that person, even though you know that the likelihood of you knowing them is minimal, but you have a shared experience in that you speak the same language. And that's exactly what I do at Let's. I have been to the destination of trauma. I understand the language of it. And when I open up and I do my talks and I help people, people gravitate towards what we do because they have a shared experience. And I'm not an academic. So I'm not a threat in terms of I'm going to you know, give you um, antidepressants or you know, refer you on to psychologists and all that sort of stuff. What we can do is have a conversation on the very, very entry level to allow you to start to be confident, to open up about what it is that you're struggling with your mental health about. Now, if I'm sitting in my workplace and I believe, you know, the question, uh, I'm sitting at my desk and I'm thinking, I'm that person who's walked into the bar. Everyone else isn't understanding me. But if I knew there was someone like me around who spoke the same language, who'd been through a whole lot of stuff, I would gravitate towards that person. But the culture within an organisation just now isn't that. Well, what's actually happening is that because of the Farmer Report, there's recommendation there that says organisations should have mental health first aiders, okay? But I am often asked to go and speak to mental health first aiders to tell them what it's actually like about having a mental health breakdown because the mental health first aid course is very academic. And what it, what it tends to be is a manager who is the very person that you don't really necessarily want to open up about your mental health. And what I always advocate... You know, what I say is that, you know, great businesses get me in to do the talks. The really great businesses get me in to do the talks and then the follow-ups, okay? And that can be workshops with the staff to start opening up about mental health, developing strategies and policies. So, you know, when 
I hear that the mental health first aiders are the managers. First of all, I compliment the organisation in actually taking that proactive step. But I always advocate to them that actually what you should do is look for someone within the organisation who has a lived experience and who is willing to be the go-to person. Let's call it a let's advocate. Um, and who are willing to go to it. Now, what they then become is a non-threatening person within that organisation. They can be the go-to person if, if I'm struggling with mental health and I just want to chat about you know, the loss in a family or whatever, I know I can go and talk to Jimmy about, what well, could we just have a wee half hour here? And, you know, and it's not going to be reported to my boss, it's not going to be a career changer, and it's not going to be devastating for me. You know? So you know, I know that there are a lot of first aiders who feel the pressure of being mental health first aiders. Primarily because what if they don't spot the signs that they've been taught to look out for? And of course, my whole um, my whole business is based on pretty much you know the stereotypical signs aren't the reality. The stereotypical signs for a man, and obviously that's what I am going into work, struggling with mental health. You know, they will tell you on the mental health first aid course. And this isn't me slamming it in any way. Is that you know look for the signs of a man turning up dishevelled, unshaven, unkempt hair. Uh, tie to the side, you know, that kind of stereotypical image, but that's not the reality. When I was in my mental health breakdown at its worst, the last thing I was going to do was not go into work looking, you know, I was wanting to turn up, suit, shirt, tie, clean shaven, haircut, because it was a mask and a suit of armour, but I absolutely showed how I needed help in so many other ways. The concern I have is that people who are trained in mental health first aid are looking at it in a very narrow way, and that's not a criticism, that's just what they've been showing. But actually the reality is there's all of these other things you really need to look out for. For me, uh, it was absolutely turning up for work in situations that I should never have turned up for. So for me, uh, my father was murdered on a Thursday night. I attended work on the Friday morning. Now, if all the person who's the mental health first aid is looking for is the triggers that I've turned up for work and have not shaved and not all of that, they'd never have spotted it. But if the question should have been is, You've just had a massive life event last night. You know, you don't really need to be here today. Another example would be that, as you know, I was in a Clutter disaster on the 29th of November. It was a Friday night and I went to work on the Monday morning. So it's not necessarily about, you know, how you turn up for work. So it's all those other things. But for me, I deliberately started missing deadlines. My, uh, my, bo- my employer at the time just seen me as a performer, not as a person. So when I was going through these life events, as long as I turned up for work, they in some way still benefited from that because I had a team of 22 staff who highly performed and I was there and so on. And I did not have a good relationship with my boss. So I couldn't go and ask my boss, who was the only person in the organisation, senior above me, I couldn't ask him, go and ask him, could I get help from you? Because I didn't have that relationship with him. And there was no one else in the organisation that I could go to. So my need for help, my cry for help, uh, I decided to go about that in a completely different way. And that was missing deadlines, pretty much undermining my boss. The actual opposite of what my personality had been like, instead of being a, a great performer for 30 odd years, I then became undermining the boss, missing deadlines. It's a wee bit like, you know, um, good child, bad child. Good child tends to get ignored because they're always good. The bad child gets the attention because, well, we need to sort that out. Um, and it absolutely um, didn't work. But what I always say when I talk to a lot of big businesses is that if your standpoint from the very beginning is that you care about your employees, you will see it. You will see that people turning up in situations where they shouldn't have. Another situation for me was that I lost twins through a miscarriage, found out on the Sunday, went to work on the Monday. 
I never told my employer about it, um, but it was common knowledge, but no one approaches because everyone's kind of fearful of having that dialect, that conversation. But it doesn't do anyone any good not to bring it up. As a, as an employer who cared, um, in any of those situations, an employer who cared could have sat down and said, right, come away. In fact, let's leave the office. Let's go and grab a coffee somewhere. Let's get out of here. Right, tell me what's going on. That's all it takes That's all, you know, to start that conversation. Even if I didn't want to start the conversation, someone doing that is taking the first step and saying, look, something's different. I know something's on your mind. And, um, and that showing of care is a massive thing. And I think that's the problem for a lot of organisations is that, certainly ones I've spoken to, that for mental health, we need to move away from this academic approach of our policies and procedures for sickness say this, and we'll just do exactly the same for mental health. Mental health is not the same as physical illness and needs to be treated differently. And what I advocate is that policies and procedures should be brought in specifically to deal with mental health. So there should be a mental health sickness and absence policy and so on. And that instead of phoning in on your first day to your boss uh, for a physical illness, you could phone perhaps into a third party, which could be my organisation, which we do, to say, I can't make my work today, I am struggling with my mental health, do this. And two things would happen, we would notify the employer, but we would also kick in our support package for that employer as well to support that employee to find out what it was that they were struggling with. But we would obviously come at it from a lived experience perspective rather than perhaps a punitive measure by an employer or an academic measure of a consultant, sorry, a counsellor or occupational therapist. Generally what happens is that I am in contracted or engaged by an employer to do a conference-style talk for the employer. So that would, in essence, be over a couple of sessions, just depending on how big the workforce is, and I would do a talk that's primarily based on my lived experience of a lot of the traumatic events that I've been in. Uh, 45 minutes, and 45 minutes, but I always leave time for question and answers because they are the real point, because everyone in that audience will resonate with something that I've been through. And we'll either put their hand up and want to ask a question. What traditionally happens after that is I give about an hour afterwards because people gravitate towards you. Without fail, any organisation I've ever been in, I've always said, you need to leave some time afterwards to allow people to come to me and just set up a tea and coffee area and people will come. Because it might well be the first time that those people have heard someone actually talk very openly about, this is what's happened to me. Here's all the things that happened to me. And particularly as a man standing up there and saying, I had a mental health breakdown. But it's the best and worst thing that ever happened to me. The worst thing because I had to go through it, but the best thing because I'm here now and I'm better than I've ever been. And generally what will happen in the audience is that the men will sit there and not say too much. Um, but they will be the ones who will contact me after it. Perhaps via email or, you know, a senior talk, do you think we could have a wee blather? Where it's likely to be in this, you know, this is just this just uh, kind of shows what it's like between men and women. We men want to kind of keep it behind closed doors. And generally the people who come up after it will be females who will say, I'd really like that, could I talk to you about it? Or equally would also say, my partner's struggling. Could we meet, could we do something? Or my father or, or a family member who tends to be a male. Women are quite open to come up and saying, I need your help. Could you help me? Uh, males tend to be more circumvented but so that that would be the first point that talk but then uh, what we then do is, is uh, the organization then follows that up with arranged one-to-one sessions with those people who want to present themselves to have a wee chat now as I said uh, a couple of moments ago that 
we are non-academic, absolutely non-academic. So what we offer is a sharing of lived experience. And that's just to build the confidence up of the person to then allow them to actually go in a linear way, which may be more holistic therapies to deal with whatever concerns they may have. So, for instance, if it's body image due to weight or anything like that, then perhaps not going to your GP and getting antidepressants is the best route. Perhaps going in a more holistic approach that looks at diet, gym and so on like that um, is a better approach. But because of struggling with mental health, once you get to the root of it and find struggling with mental health because of body image and weight gain, or whatever it may be, a weight loss, weight gain, then we can look and say, right, okay, and we can refer that person on to our trusted partners. Um, I'm not. I'm absolutely not saying that people shouldn't go down the uh, antidepressant and the clinical route helped me and it was, it was the right time and place. Uh, all we're offering at this stage is um, to open that door of the conversation because most people in, in an employment scenario don't want to be open and say, I'm struggling with my mental health because of the traditional methods. What we're offering is an absolute alternative to those traditional methods that's non-threatening and non-clinical. Fundamentally what we do is we do our work off-premises from the employer because, you know, it's not very liberating to have conversations in your workplace while your, while your bosses are around. So we would, first of all, meet in local coffee shops or a park, depending on the weather, um, but out of the office is the first stage. And that also allows a certain amount of freedom for the person. Um, but it can really be, it depends and it's just at the pace of the person. You tend to find that the, whatever the person opens up to you about isn't necessarily the root of the problem. So it then becomes a wee bit of confidence, a few tips of mindfulness, a few things like that. And just talking about, look, these things are just your thoughts. So it could be three, four sessions, but it's really about getting the person to get to a comfortable point of actually saying, you know what, I've had a few conversations with you. I feel a lot better now because now I know I'm not the only person in the world who struggled with this. Or it's then identifying, look, I kind of would like to take it further. Now I've, I've established those first steps. The next step for me would actually be to as I said, maybe look at, you know, any of the trusted partners that we have and so on. So, you know, it's not a, you know, set three, four week um, period. Quite relaxed and laid back about that. We consult with the employer about it as well. Um, but it's incredibly liberating for the staff members because for the first time, they actually have the opportunity to talk to someone who's been through something similar, who's not an employer, who's not an employee. And it, we found that definitely in, in the support groups that I've run, uh, particularly for men, we have the perception that men don't really want to talk about anything regarding mental health. Um, that isn't true. Uh, we just need to create the right platform. And what we've done in our support groups is we've we've held men's mental health groups in a pub. But when we hold those support group meetings in the pub, we just look like everyone else. But the reality is, is we are just like everyone else. We're just talking about our mental health. And so... What we offer is just that, almost like that first step in opening up and being comfortable about talking about your mental health and saying, do you know what, it is okay. I've had a struggle. And what I kind of say to employers is that when you have an employee who's struggling with their mental health, it's not the end of the road for them. Far from it. It's just like every other illness. That's it for today, folks. Thank you very much for listening. Please also like and share this episode on social media with your friends, family and colleagues and anyone who you think may benefit from getting this incredible insight into better mental health. If you have any comments or questions, then get in touch by emailing me at michael at livedexperiencetraumasupport.com. Thanks very much. I'm Michael Byrne from Lived Experience Trauma Support.